0: Extension Connection podcast. The Grant County Cooperative Extension Service is here to help connect you with research-based information about economic development, energy and water, farm and ranch, yard and garden, natural resources, health and well-being, and our very popular youth development program, 4-H. I'm your host, Jessica Swat the 4-H, and agriculture agent here in Grant County, New Mexico. We are part of New Mexico State University's College of Agricultural, Consumer, and Environmental Science, and we are here to serve you. So let's get started. Welcome back, everyone. I thought it might be appropriate to ask Dr. Leslie Beck back on to the podcast, um, just because everybody's doing a little bit more yard work nowadays. Um... Life has kind of changed for all of us, so we're getting outside, we're doing yard work, um, and I thought it was important to touch base with her on the safety aspects of um, some of the things you might be doing outside. Um, As you know, there's a shortage on uh, protective equipment, so we kind of dive deep into um, what we need to do and what can be done and the proper procedures. Um, that need to be taken in order to to get things taken care of in your landscape. So I hope you'll enjoy.
1: Welcome to the podcast today. Um, I have a guest that you've heard from before, Dr. Leslie Beck, who is the Extension Weed Specialist. And she's coming back on the podcast today to talk about some different um, subjects as they relate to what's going on right now. So, um, some things about, uh, protective, uh, personal protective equipment, otherwise known as PPE. There's some shortages. Um, she's going to kind of give us the heads up on all of that. So, welcome to the
2: podcast today, Leslie. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to have you back. <laughs>
2: yeah, so, you know yeah. That,
1: like, your your info on the whole dandelion thing like totally cursed me because
2: my lawn oh, no. was taken over
1: by dandelions shortly after I released that podcast. I'm I'm blaming you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well,
2: you know it, it's my fault that the weeds keep coming back. It's why my voice sounds uh-huh. the way it does today. I think they're getting their revenge on me, allergy wise. <laughs> so hopefully I won't cough and sneeze the whole presentation. But the good thing is, is that based on what we talked about, you're raring to go in the fall when it's the most opportune time to get them, right? Right. I, I attempted to
1: control them a little bit, and then I just, I've just given up.
2: At yeah. this point, if
1: it's in green, it gets to they, stay.
2: Yeah. In that situation, they just kind of look at you and go, neener, neener, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they straight up were like, haha, ha lady, you don't scare me. <laughs> so... But speaking of, uh, you know, weeds and, uh, weed management and stuff, um, with the COVID-19 stuff that's going on, um, you know, when you're using, uh, some of these herbicides, you, you need to protect yourself with personal protective equipment, but that's, that's becoming kind of a, there's a shortage coming with that. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, we're, we're getting a lot of questions about what, what we can anticipate with the upcoming or actually the, uh personal protective equipment shortage that we're experiencing now that quite frankly yeah. I don't see you know becoming less of an issue uh by the end of the year even I think personal protective equipment is going to continue to be scarce mostly because mm-hmm. it's being diverted to essential workers uh, uh medical personnel uh workers in the field workers in the fields and at supermarkets things along those lines and honestly I think that's absolutely appropriate so what we're going to mm-hmm. talk about today or I hope we're going to talk about today It's just a couple of considerations when, uh, when making these pesticide applications, uh, and what type of personal protective equipment to use. You know, what kind of language that we need to look at on the, or what do we need to look at on the label to know what we need to apply and how we can not necessarily think about alternatives. And I'll explain about why that's important in a moment, but really take into consideration a lot of the things that we teach in our pesticide Mm -hmm. applicator trainings about Uh, safe usage of personal protective equipment, but also uh, maintenance of personal protective equipment, uh, taking care of your PPE in order to extend the life or the effectiveness of that PPE as long as possible, if it is indeed something that can be reused. So we'll talk about that. Right.
1: All right. So I'm going to let you just roll right into it. Tell me everything I need to know.
2: (laughs) Well, I think one of the big one of the big questions that we're getting right now that I kind of want to really focus on here at the very beginning, because I think this is the most important thing to consider moving forward when we start talking about uh, PPE and labels and everything is that we're getting a lot of questions about whether or not a lot of these uh, homemade uh, personal protective equipment that have been recommended for use uh, when you're out and about to try to protect you from, uh, you know, infection from, you know, COVID-19, uh, especially mm-hmm. homemade masks, and whether or not those have applicability in pesticide applica- applications as well. And I'm here to tell yeah. you, and NMDA will completely back me up on this, that um, the label is law.
0: Danger, danger.
2: And that's not a euphemism. Mm-hmm. That is a that is a real legally binding contract, and therefore. DIY and other aspects of PPE that aren't mentioned or that go against the recommendation in the label itself are not applicable in pesticide application.
0: So the mm-hmm. DIY
2: masks—I've um, seen people using uh, uh, Walmart sacks and uh, plastic sacks to cover mm-hmm. their hands when they're at the gas station—and that's absolu- absolutely applicable in that tiny situation for a limited amount of time. But when you're out making a pesticide application, that's not going to work. it's going to be cumbersome. you're not going to have your hands free in order to in order to do uh, what you're doing appropriately and safely. so these have no applicability in pesticide applications and mainly because they also they're not uh, they don't protect you against actual pesticides themselves. Some of these chemicals you know have the ability to uh, bypass some of these filters and these plastic bags and everything like that. That's why the label recommends specific types of gloves or specific types of respirators that you have to have to wear. And if that's the case, you have to go with a label every time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So following the label, I mean, it's just really for your own
2: good. I mean, it's just for your own protection. Absolutely. And that's, that's, you you hit the nail right on the head. These recommendations are in the label in order to protect the applicator, to protect from uh, unintentional offsite damage uh, things along those lines. So, uh, if it says to use a specific type of respirator in the label, then you don't have the option of maybe reaching for another type of respirator that you still have in your, in your storage.
0: So mm-hmm. what I
2: wanted to do is, uh, is really, uh, talk about that. And also another thing to consider that I get a question about quite frequently is that if you're tank mixing, uh, different mm-hmm. pesticides together in the same tank in order to, you know, broaden the spectrum of the pests that you're able to control, Which Mm -hmm. label do you follow as far as personal protective equipment? You know, because there might be one label, or there's one label for one product, there's one label for another product, which one do you follow? And in that Mm -hmm. situation, you always follow the most restrictive language um, in one of those labels. So if one label calls for the use of a respirator and one label doesn't, then you wear the the respirator when you're tank mixing those products together. Right, right. But so that's another thing to consider yeah. as far as safety goes. That's a question I get quite kind of frequently, too. Yeah. Yeah, and so, you know,
1: if, you, if you're uh, going to apply something that you need a respirator for and you don't have a respirator, right now it's probably not a good time to try to buy one or find one. Um, what is your advice on that? Probably just shouldn't uh, – probably should look for some alternatives, don't you think? Absolutely,
2: yeah. So, you know, the – the first thing to do is always try to make sure that you have the appropriate personal protective equipment in your storage if you can find it. So mm-hmm. if if you make applications that use utilize this protection, personal protective equipment quite frequently, then mm-hmm. you may want to try to see if you can find a uh, uh, product in order to purchase, in order to build up your stores. But, of course, like we said, that's going to be difficult. And, quite frankly, I find that becoming more and more difficult as we mm-hmm. progress. So one of the alternatives, uh, certainly, is to consider uh, the effectiveness of alternative pesticides that don't Mm -hmm. require the use of a respirator. Um, There's many of them out there, herbicides specifically. There's only a handful Mm -hmm. of them that actually require a respirator during mixing and uh, applying. But, of course, when you're talking about other pesticides, insecticides, fungicides, rodenticides, you know, depending on what kind of pest you're applying, respirators are certainly more prevalent. Um, Yeah. And so, uh, if you can find an alternative pesticide that doesn't require the use of a respirator, but still garners the same amount of pest control, uh, mm-hmm. then maybe it might be worth, you know, switching your, uh, the pesticide that you're, you're typically applying just in the midst of a shortage at least. Uh, just because mm-hmm. again, those things are not available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the I mean, um, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was going to say, I mean, if all else fails, I mean, I think that, you know, controlling the weed or, or protecting your own health, I mean, we're going to choose ourselves before we control, you know, the weed, you
2: know, absolutely first. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, so there's a lot of questions about um, uh, where that language is within the, or within the label itself. So one of the mm-hmm. things that I also want to point out, especially in regards to respirators, is that it's really important to read the entire language of the label because there might be different areas of uh, pesticide exposure that you have to wear a respirator for. So say the label might uh, specifically recommend wearing a respirator when you're mixing or when you're measuring out the the product if it's a powder,
0: something Mm -hmm. along
2: those lines. So the other thing is that applicators should always note, uh, any changes or any recommendations for what we call re-entry intervals. That mm-hmm. acronym is REI intervals and post-harvest intervals, PHI if you're in agriculture. And what that mm-hmm. is, is that is a, is a, a specific amount of time recommended in the label that you're going to re-enter the area that has been, uh, that has been sprayed for a certain amount of time after that application that perhaps you need to be using personal protective equipment for. So say for 24 hours after you make an application, if you want to enter this area, you have to make sure you have a respirator or you have to have protective equipment on. And in that mm-hmm. case, the alternative is always there might be to just completely restrict access to that area as much as possible. Just so you don't have right. to depend on having a, a limited supply of respirators just to re enter that area, if that's possible. Again, probably right. the best thing would be to try to, to make applications of a pesticide that will generate the same amount of pest control but not require the use of a respirator. Right, right. Yeah, so, and, and then right. another thing is that some people are questioning, or a lot of the questions that I get is like, well, I have this product, do I need a respirator? And of course, my my answer is always read the label. Uh, currently Great. I have a uh, extension publication that's in the review process, so hopefully that'll be coming into print within the next few weeks. Um that is really covering the air, the information that we're talking about today that I, uh, that I wrote with, uh, other professors, Dr. Amanda Skidmore and Philip Lujan, as well as representatives from New Mexico Department of Agriculture, Stephen Baca and Nathan Abramson. And what we have in this mm-hmm. publication, along with uh, the section on respirators, is references to a couple of websites. Mm. So, some universities are starting to put together uh, comprehensive lists of pesticides uh, and and what their category is or what their requirements are for uh, certain PPE, specifically respirators. Mm-hmm. So, some of them are just listing as many uh, products as they. Uh, as many pesticides as they possibly can within their state that are labeled within their state, and determining whether or not they need a respirator or not. Some of them are going to the approach of only listing pesticides that don't require a respirator. In the current situation, so these are really good resources, quick resources. But of course, you know, once you look up a product on this on this uh, list to see whether or not it requires a respirator or not, the recommendation is always to go back to the label and make sure that that recommendation is still up to date, because labels change all the time, as we know. So mm-hmm. when in doubt, the label is law. And whatever it says on the label that you need to wear, that's what you need to wear. Right, right. And uh, what about, um,
1: you know, some things on IPM? So
2: absolutely. So in, in the absence of, uh, yeah, in the absence of Uh, the proper PPE that's recommended by the label if there's not a comparative pesticide that would uh, generate the appropriate level of pest control that's available that doesn't require a respirator. One of the things that we can always depend on, and quite frankly, I would say one of the most important aspects of any type of pest management, weed, insects, diseases, vertebrae, pests, is incorporating integrated pest management. Mm -hmm. There are Mm -hmm. other uh, management techniques that we can utilize, such as uh, preventative measures. So in the case mm-hmm. of weeds, I think we talked about some of these in the other podcast. I have a feeling we're – I think we're scheduled to probably do a more in-depth podcast in the future on integrated pest management to really go into these categories that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, preventative measures, so in the case of weeds, preventing weed seed from coming into your area in the first place. So when Great. you go out hiking or walking, check the bottom of your shoes to make sure you don't have goat heads on the bottom of your shoes. You know, if you do, pick them out before you go into your property. That's preventative measures. Yeah. The use of mechanics. So the use of tools in order to remove or damage or prevent the weed from germinating successfully. So mm-hmm. most people ask me what's the most effective method of organic control, and that would be your hand haven't developed a resistance to them yet, and they're pretty effective at what they do, depending on the weed, of course. Um, There's also cultural control. So there's a little bit of confusion as to what the difference between cultural and mechanical control is. Cultural control is any of the inputs that you put into your desirable plant. So say Mm -hmm. you have a, a garden in your backyard. You're going to water that garden. You're going to fertilize that garden. You're probably going to put mulch down in order to prevent weeds from coming up in the garden because the healthier your plant is, the more vegetables and the more fruit that you get from it, but also the more it's able to outcompete uh, weeds yes. that are starting to come up during the season. So the healthier the plant is, the more competitive it is with the weeds as opposed to mechanical control, which is just the use of tools yes i do I do also get questions on biological control quite a bit. um We'll probably talk about that more in more in depth, but mm-hmm. biological control is only going to be applicable with certain weeds and certain mm-hmm. insects in many cases and mm-hmm. as far as how effective they are, um they can injure the weed. They're a great tool to have in your tool belt, but for the most mm-hmm. part, it's not ecologically smart for them to kill their host because mm-hmm. once they do, there's no more food. So you can't really depend on, you know, going out into your backyard and releasing all of these wonderful insects that are going to only eat your field bindweed in your backyard because field bindweed grows very quickly. The insects are probably small. They can't cause enough damage in a short enough amount of time to actually kill the weed. The other thing is they're probably going to fly over into your neighbor's yard, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they probably so. where you want them to stay. No, they they don't really pay attention to, oh, well you you purchased me online, so I need to stay in this yard. <laughs> but um so the idea is is that the more you combine these management practices together, hopefully the less we have to be dependent on herbicides. We can reduce our inputs. Now, herbicides and pesticides absolutely have a, a place in integrated pest management.
0: But the idea mm-hmm. is
2: that we exhaust all of these other options that could be effective ag- against the weed, depending on the weed. And then we save our herbicide applications for the big, the big bad guys that mm-hmm. really don't respond to these other management practices very well. Therefore, we reduce our inputs. But utilizing mm-hmm. IPM is, is, is doing a lot of what we talked about in our last podcast is, is really focusing your management on the biology of the weed. So even when utilizing handfuls, there's an appropriate time to do that. You want to do it before the seed forms or before the plant gets so large and the root gets so deep that you don't get all of it when you pull it up. Mm-hmm. Same with herbicides. You want to make applications when the plant is actively growing, when it's young.
0: Because if you wait
2: until the pigweed plant is as tall as me, and I'm roughly five foot, you know, 5'10", uh, it's way too mature. It's just not going to respond. And therefore, any herbicide that you apply is nothing but a wasted application. Something that's been put into Mm -hmm. the environment that doesn't need to be there and is not going to generate the goal that you had intended in the first place. So IPN is also the appropriate use of all of these management practices. And again, targeting our management specifically for the weed. And quite Mm -hmm. frankly, in the absence of, in the absence of the use of pesticides, particularly, particularly if we don't have access to the required personal protective equipment as designated by the label, then that's pretty much all we have at our disposal. Mm -hmm. But It could be a very, very very effective tool. And quite frankly, should be utilized even when you are making pesticide applications, if that makes sense. Right, right. Yeah. There's a time and a
1: place for everything.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we were talking about, you know, that's, that's what we're here for as far as extension. If you don't know what the weed is in your landscape, you know, if they can send you a picture, if if you're not sure, you can send it to me, and we'll work as hard as we can to identify that weed because that's the first step. Mm-hmm. Once that's the mm-hmm. case, we can start putting, we can start building an entire management practice utilizing all of these different practices and where applicable and when that's going to be the most opportune time to do so. Yes, I completely agree.
1: So <laughs> is there anything else you want to share with us today?
2: well i mean there's uh there's a couple of other uh parts of personal protective equipment that I wanted to just kind of address um, yeah. going back to respirators just for a moment i i am sorry I didn't uh, uh mention this when we were on the subject um The other important thing to consider with respirators is is just general um, practice, general practices like during applications and when removing your personal protective equipment, that can also maintain the integrity of your respirator for an extended period of time. So when you're making applications, and this is one thing that they're talking about with the homemade masks with the COVID situation, is that it tends to give people a false sense of security, and therefore they're touching their face more often because they're adjusting Uh. their mask. And so when you're making a pesticide application and you have your gloves on that have been mixing these pesticides, that have been worn when spraying pesticides, you certainly don't want to reach up and make adjustments to your mask or take your mask right. off or just put it back on when you have contaminants on your hands. There's a hierarchy when uh, when removing personal protective equipment to make sure to limit the amount of contamination uh, for certain other pieces of equipment so with respirators um and most people who are people who have pesticide applicator licenses know this you actually have to have a training in order to huh? uh, in order to uh, appropriately wear and size your respirator mask and the idea right. behind that is is that that if your mask fits appropriately you're wearing it appropriately there's no need to um to use your hands to continually make adjustments. It shouldn't be slipping. It shouldn't be moving. It shouldn't be bothering you. Um, and the other thing is that it's important to wear your respirator correctly. So mm. one of the things that I don't know if you've seen it, uh, when you end up going grocery shopping like I do, people walking around with masks <laughs> and their nose is sticking out the top, and it's like, uh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's, What's the that's point? Not really a appropriate way to, and, you know, granted, it, it it is annoying when you're wearing a mask. I have glasses, and every time I wear my mask and I breathe, my glasses fog up. But, right. and it's annoying. I completely get that. But at the same time, that also tells me that that mask is probably appropriate because if if things are having a difficult time getting out, they're probably having a difficult time getting in, too. Um hmm which leads to the fogging of your glasses. So um, mm-hmm. uh, the other thing is that when you're making a pesticide application, one indication that, it, you know, it's not as always as easy as just putting a mask on because if it's not fitted appropriately, you don't have the training to know if it's fitted appropriately, then you're still exposed to inhalation of those pesticides. So mm-hmm. anytime you're making an application and you have a respirator on and you can smell the chemical aspects of that application, odds are you're probably not wearing your respirator correctly. The other thing Mm -hmm. is to maintain safety, if you have a respirator that is more permanent that has filter inserts, anytime you put that respirator on and you can smell residue of of a pesticide in those filters, it's time to change those filters. So Mm -hmm. if you don't have filters after that point, then, of course, that's when we have to start considering maybe alternate methods of control, even using alternate pesticides that don't require that respirator. Right. But the other right. thing that I did want to touch on that I get uh, quite a few questions on is uh, is gloves. What do we do in the absence of gloves? Because uh, just like respirators, those disposable gloves are, are really hard to find right now.
0: And yeah. they're especially
2: hard to find because everybody's wearing them, as well they should be. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I wanted to point out is that uh, especially people uh, who are essential workers, they really don't have a choice in that instance. They need those disposable gloves. Medical personnel, when they go from person to person, they have to be able to dispose or to take off those gloves, throw them away, change them out in order to protect themselves and the people that they're dealing with. The benefit with yeah. pesticide applications is that we, we have quite a few options for, uh, uh for gloves at our disposal. That have a little bit more longevity than say the disposable nitrile gloves which are going to be the ones that are really hard to find right now Mm -hmm. there are different uh, uh, there are different uh, sorry (laughs) Uh, there are different uh, materials that comprise gloves such as neoprene uh, butyl gloves barrier laminates viton some of these are going to be more expensive some of these are Mm -hmm. thicker um they may not be applicable in every application sense just because the thicker they are, the more cumbersome they are. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, in, in many cases, the label will re- make a recommendation of wear gloves that are waterproof or wear gloves that mm-hmm. are chemical resistant. And yes. that, that's a designation that's important to understand because if a glove is waterproof only, it may not be resistant to, uh, uh, to penetration from certain chemicals. And so that Mm -hmm. glove is not appropriate in that situation. But if you are wearing, uh, or if you are utilizing gloves that have more longevity, such as the, uh, such as the butyl uh, rubber, neoprene, barrier laminate, vitons, um, as I was talking about with respirators, it's really important to follow that sort of chain of command when you're, uh, when you're cleaning, removing pesticide, or your personal protective equipment after making an application. Uh-huh. So in many cases, the first thing you do is you take off your gloves. Well, right. depending on the glove, there are certain ways to, make, to remove those gloves in order to minimize the contaminants on your bare hands. Mm-hmm. The other thing is the first thing you do after removing a glove is you wash your hands, regardless if it's mm. disposable or whatever uh, the, the material is. Um, But if the material is thicker and is meant to be used for application after application, you know, you would wash those gloves first before taking them off. So you can wash the gloves in soap and water the same way that you do your hands before removing those gloves. Once you do, you wash your hands. The other thing is that you want to make sure that you're removing your gloves when going from task to task. So if you just got done mixing your herbicide your uh, herbicide mixture and putting it in the tank and you're going to get in the in the vehicle to, you know, take the tank out to the uh area of your field in which you're going to make the application, you need to take your gloves off. You need to change them or you need to clean them, otherwise you're going to get contaminants on the steering wheel and in the cab of whatever vehicle you're using in order to pull the um uh to pull the the spray.
0: So in right. some
2: cases some people might you know, load up all of their stuff, get into their truck, go to the next location without changing their gloves. And that just helps to spread contamination all through the cab. You could get that on your personal clothes. If you take that home, then all of a sudden there's contamination in the midst of your family. So Mm -hmm. it's really important to make sure that you're changing your PPE, you're cleaning your PPE, and you're removing it appropriately to minimize carrying contamination beyond the task that you're doing.
1: Uh, The other thing
2: that I didn't talk about with respirators that would apply to gloves, that would apply to um, really any personal protective equipment, is storage, adequate storage. Ah. So, obviously, you might not be making pesticide applications every single day. So, if you have respirators and gloves and Tyvek suits that are meant to be used in multiple application situations, you're going to want to store those appropriately. You want to store them. You want to make sure that they're clean before putting them away for storage. Um, you want to make sure that you're not storing them in the same place that you store your pesticides or that they would be exposed Ooh. to pesticides. So instead of just throwing them in the back seat of your truck, you know, mm-hmm. maybe once your glove dry or your respirator dry, put them in a plastic baggie or put them in a Tupperware that protects them from being contaminated from other sources. The other yeah. thing is that you want to, Make sure that you store this equipment out of direct sunlight, because of course sunlight, UV light breaks down certain materials. And if your gloves, say for instance, are sitting in their appropriate Tupperware container, that's fully mm-hmm. exposed to UV light. Next time you go and reach for them, they may be more brittle. They may have tears, mm-hmm. and therefore they can't be used as personal protective mm-hmm. equipment because the materials been compromised. Um, I guess another one of the questions I, I, I typically get that I want to cover right quick is um, is what happens when, you know, the label only calls for long sleeves and long mm-hmm. pants, closed-toed shoes. That's pretty much any pesticide. And quite frankly, yeah. my motto is always, always better to be safer than sorry. So mm-hmm. even when I'm in my backyard just applying fertilizers or even if I'm applying organic options because we talked in the last presentation mm-hmm. about the fact that they could be injurious as well, I always mm-hmm. have at least long pants on, close-toed shoes, most likely gloves sure. if I have them available. Um, mm-hmm. I can't say how many times I've been driving through neighborhoods and I see people in shorts and flip-flops making applications of whatever is in that <laughs> tank. Um, yeah. obviously, obviously that's not appropriate. But right. when you, yeah, when you spray in long pants, it may be that you get a little bit of contaminant on your clothes. What do you do then? So mm-hmm. the recommendation is always, always to have a separate washing system for your mm-hmm. uh, pesticide clothes. If you're just making an application in your backyard of an over-the-counter product, then make sure you wash those clothes completely separate from that of your family. For your mm-hmm. regular clothes that have not been exposed to pesticides, you might want to wash them on multiple cycles. I've heard anywhere mm. from uh, two, is, two is recommended, three is better. Uh, just ah. to make sure you get all of that contaminant and all that rinse aid out of there and out of the washing machine. But also it's important once you take those clothes out of the washing machine to run it on a cycle with no clothes in the washing machine to make sure you get any of that contaminant out of the washer itself. Uh, it's usually recommended that, uh, if you have the capability to take those clothes and hang them on a clothesline exposed fully as much as possible to sunlight because UV light Ooh. also breaks down pesticides.
1: So, ah.
2: yeah, when doing that as opposed to just throwing them in the dryer, which of course you have to do the exact same, uh, that's a little bit more difficult. Um, it's always recommended to try to, to hang them on a clothesline because the air allows it to dry, allows, it exposes that pesticide to the elements, but also it gets exposed to the sunlight, and that can further break down any residues that are on the clothes themselves. So that's another recommendation that we take that, you know, some people, you know, again, you know, when you make application after application or if you're not familiar with making applications, these are things that people might not consider, but it mm-hmm. just helps protect you, it helps protect your family, and it helps protect the integrity of the clothes you're wearing. Another question I get is, well, what happens if I accidentally spill the pesticide on, on myself or I spill some on my jeans? If you have an exorbitant amount of pesticide on your clothes, it might just be worth it to just dispose of them rather than try to Mm -hmm. clean them. Just because the higher the concentrate, the more that's going to uh, build up residues in your washer, especially if you're sharing that washing machine with your family. So that's another thing. So a lot of, a lot of what I've been talking about today, seems like common sense, and it is, but mm-hmm. when you're out making applications and you have all these things on your mind or, you know, you've, you've got to get to one location, you've got to make multiple applications in the course of the day, you're in a rush, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, the appropriate considerations for the proper use of personal protective equipment and also the proper care of personal mm-hmm. protective equipment is is not necessarily followed to a T. and in the midst of not having um, personal protective equipment replacements to purchase or that are available, if we <laughs> do make these mistakes, these are things that we're going to have to really focus on because, you know, that, that one box of gloves may be all you have left for the remainder of the year. I, I, I don't know what the current situation is going to lead to, but. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily novel information, but. Really taking care of your personal protective equipment is only going to ensure that it takes care of you in the long run as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So, yeah. all of these things are really important to consider. Labels don't include that information just to make it seem really boring when you have to read them.
1: They're there <laughs> for your
2: safety. Yeah. So, and to make right. sure that these pesticides are being applied in the appropriate way. Um, in a way that is going to generate successful pest control, but also in a safe and sustainable way. Yes. So when in doubt, always read the label. Follow the label. Yes. Always,
1: always, always. That was really good information today and definitely uh, much needed during these times. So I want to thank you again for being on my
2: podcast. Thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, always good. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whatever app you're using to listen to this podcast. Want more information? You can visit us at our website, grantextension.nmsu.edu. Follow us on Facebook at NMSU Grant County CES, Snapchat at Grant County NM4H. Shoot us an email at grant at nmsu.edu, or give us a call 575-388-1559. New Mexico State University is an equal opportunity, affirmative action employer and educator, NMSU and the U.S. Department of Agriculture cooperating.